Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. Locked On Trailblazers, your daily Portland Trailblazers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to a June 26th, Monday night edition, post-NBA awards edition of the Lockdown Blazers podcast. I'm your host, Eric Garcia-Gunderson, a writer at many places, and today I'm joined by my pal and our draft expert here on Lockdown Blazers, Mike Weisenberg from NBADraft.net. Mike, how are you? It is post-draft. We are almost to summer league. It is almost free agency, big time, and we're here to break down the draft as it happened, Blazers picks and all. Mike, welcome to the show. How are you? I am doing great, Eric. Thanks so much for having me again. Uh, I am so high after the draft. I haven't really gotten down yet. It was fantastic. I think just so many things went on, and uh, even, you know, they're so many things we can talk about that we can go over. And there were some huge moves that I definitely did not see coming. Uh, I, I didn't think that like a superstar was going to get traded because you, you always hear about that and it usually doesn't happen this year. It finally happened and there were just, it went really well. It was one of the more exciting drafts I can remember. So I, I I was very hyped about it. And then, of course, I was very excited to see what the Blazers were going to do with three first-round picks. And, uh, yeah, th- there are mixed reviews, but I, I'm very hyped to talk about this with you because, uh, yeah, I, I kind of uh, see it from maybe a different way than most people do. Yes, and, and I think that your perspective is very important because I think uh, a lot of us can get caught into – patterns that we have in the draft i think we can get caught into the cycle and 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 things that happen and getting caught in the moment really i i I think uh that definitely happened even to me during the draft uh that portland uses their picks to trade up into the lottery and take zach collins and so just to recap what happened in the draft before we get into it and break it down the blazers traded picks 15 and 20 to the Sacramento Kings on draft night to trade into the top 10. They got Zach Collins from Gonzaga, who projects to be uh, like a you know a center in the NBA, but maybe could play some power forward because he's really mobile, can shoot a little bit, showed, to, showed a little bit of a stroke in college, and uh, is very athletic, can block shots, 
and, and really projects to help at that end, uh, but was a freshman, didn't start for his college team. So there's, there's, prob- there's probably a little skepticism there from that. Uh, and then with their 26th pick, Portland held on to that pick, and they picked Caleb Swanigan from Purdue. And uh, he, he's a big man as well, a, a different type of big man, uh, can shoot the three, shot it really well in college, had a couple of 2020 games uh, in college as well. But definitely more of a – he looks the part of a traditional big man more. But uh, And it, I think to me that was part of the most surprising part for me was that Portland went with two big men uh, in, with their picks, but uh, Neil Olshay said that he thought he got the best possible player that they could get at ten with Zach Collins by trading up. They said they targeted him really high on their board, and that's why they wanted him. And with Swanigan, they said that Swanigan was you know the the number one guy standing at twenty six among the guys that they wanted and the best guy. So uh, they went with two big men, which kind of surprised me. I thought they needed a little wing help, but uh, Mike, I know you study these guys uh, a lot, and I asked you about Collins before the draft, and uh, you seem pretty excited on the possibility of Portland getting him. So, I mean, now that he's actually on the Blazers, what do you think about about that pick first, and then we'll and we'll move on to Swan again. Awesome. Well, I thought that Collins was absolutely going to be gone by fifteen, and when we even talked about on that podcast. Uh, trading up and I wasn't sure about the possibility of trading up. I wasn't sure if, you know, they were willing to give up 15 and 20, but my whole thing with Zach Collins is that I think most, the consensus of people agreed that after pick 12, things got pretty shaky. And, you know, the guys I included in the last few picks would have been like, you know, guys like Markinen, Collins and Donovan Mitchell, and after that, I know Luke Kennard went before Donovan Mitchell, but, you know, after that, it got a little shaky. And I think these guys were on kind of a different – They, the whole thing with the draft now is uh, they talk about tiers. And, you know, if you're first tier, you're a franchise player. If you're a second tier, you're an all-star potential, you know, third tier, high-level starter, like all those things. And to me, Zach Collins was on a different tier than a guy like a Justin Jackson, who I'm still not sure about, who, you know, is still not necessarily strong enough to, you know, necessarily be that wing. He had one year of really good shooting. And yes, you could say he's turned it around. He's corrected his shot. But it's still not necessarily that easy translating to the NBA three-point line. He doesn't make a lot of defensive events happen. And, you know, that's usually kind of an indicator for how you're going to defend on the perimeter. I know he did pretty well in the NCAA tournament as far as that went, but the NBA is a different ball game. And then, you know, you have a guy like Harry Giles who a lot of people felt was well worth the risk at 20. I was one of those people. I also am very worried about what he's going to do at the NBA level. You could say that, yes, he was the guy that a lot of people felt was the number one prospect in his class. But if we looked at him in college, we saw a guy who was very, very raw and who doesn't have a reliable jump shot, who didn't necessarily play the best defense in the post and was kind of lost on that end as well. Wasn't even uh, 
like on, on offense, you know, he, he just didn't really have anything to go to a lot of, you know, garbage buckets and, and uh, kind of being spoon fed close to the basket and, you know, the occasional athletic play, he has a brilliant frame, everything there. But with Zach Collins, we saw a guy who, as the year went on, he was, I think, Gonzaga, if he wasn't Gonzaga's best player in the tournament, he was definitely up there. And for as few minutes as he played, his production was like insane, especially for a freshman center. You could say they wasn't playing against great competition, but when he did play against good competition, he still did well. And this is a guy who potentially can stretch the floor. He has a very nice shot and he can also protect the rim. Now, I think, you know, if you're saying you think back and you're like, oh, Myers Leonard was the 11th pick in the draft. Yes, we know this. I think with Zach, we see just more of an acumen. Like freshman Myers and freshman Zach Collins, I think, are in a different world as far as their understanding of the game and their, you know, their ability to understand defense, their ability to understand where to be on the floor. And that's where I think, like, the quality of big men that they got in the draft is in a position where they're sorely lacking quality. That's why I'm kind of happy with what they did in the draft. That's why I think trading up for Collins isn't necessarily a bad move. It it could actually really pay off. Collins and Nurk playing together, I'm not completely sure about at this point. But again, like, you know, this is a guy— who you can kind of build with and who I think maybe has a different tier of as far as helping a team in the long run. So that's, that's why I think the Blazers did a pretty good job trying to trade up and get their guy. You bring up a point there with Collins and Nurkic. I think I, you know, I, I don't know as much about him, but the fact that he can shoot does make it more possible that they could potentially play together. Like, if they were just two big men, you know, and one of them couldn't shoot, yeah, that would be a problem. And and, and the Blazers have go- have gone away with that with Nurkic and Vonleh lineups and 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 things like that. But I really do think that it is going to be a good situation to have Collins there. And you talked about the lacking in quality of big men and Neil O'Shea. They introduced. The Neil O'Shea introduced Swanigan and Collins today. We'll get to Swanigan in a second. Uh, and w- a couple of interesting things that he said, and it, obviously you, you mentioned Myers Leonard. Noah Vonley is another guy that has come up a lot since this draft because it seems like Collins and Swanigan both are going to be gunning for those minutes that Vonley has. Uh, but, he, but, but O'Shea mentioned something too that Nurkic has been dealing, was like, out, you know, severely out of shape when they got him. And then also mentioned today during the introductory press conference, when he was asked by Mike Richmond about injury updates and stuff like that, that he has some imbalances that they're trying to correct with like how they, how he like distributes his weight because the, and, and the training staff in Portland's very like super advanced and they're always, you know, making sure these guys are on balance and, and always testing them every single day. So they know what to correct, but they have to work on it now. But it seems like they're, you know, they, they, he's going to be ready. But obviously there's like a whole lot of work there with Nurkic. And we saw what happens when Nurkic isn't in there. 
it's really bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we saw what it yeah. was in the last the last couple of weeks of the season. Like without Nurkic, it was awful. And mm-hmm. and and so I, I I was beating the drum of a big man would be nice, but they also need a wing. But it seemed like they went in the direction of just getting two good big men. And I guess that will segue us into the Swanigan portion of this uh, breakdown. Let us let the people know the type of player they're getting in Biggie Swanigan. I think people know the story quite well, the great story. But you, you can even go there because, you, you know, you've been following him a long time. Uh, mm-hmm. I remember I, the first time I saw him was with you at Hoop Summit a couple of years ago. Uh, mm-hmm. And he has even changed since then uh, quite a yeah. bit. So, uh, yeah, please let the folks know about uh, the guy that they got at number 26 in uh, Caleb Biggie Swanigan. I think we're what we're getting with Swanigan is a guy who obviously has worked on his body uh, quite a bit. He was the top rate high school prospect. He even uh, reclassified back to his original class after like most high school players uh, kind of being left back. But the thing you always notice with him is he has a fantastic touch around the hoop and even far away from the basket. He's, he's gotten a shot out to three point range as well. Um, the, the other thing is just the way he reads the game as well. Uh, the passing. So just so many things on offense and then you know, he's lost so much weight and just really tightened up his body quite a bit. And, uh, you know, when we saw him, he, he was a, he was a big guy, but I, I was kind of surprised that he lost as much weight too. He's kind of a bit of a lumberer and he, he's never going to be the swiftest athlete, but he has just a great understanding of the game and there's potential there to be like, you know, a productive backup big man, uh, huge seven, three wingspan. So that, that really helps out as well. He was one of the top rebounders in the NCAA. And, uh, when I made my uh, top five superlative list, he was number one rebounder in the draft. So, uh, I so, feel like he's going to be up there. So that and that's that's a skill, you know, and that's that, a major that's a and that's a major skill. thing Portland really lacked last year is that mm-hmm. they were really I mean they, they were only a difference of four wins, but the year before when they were the fifth seed and they were the like the story of the league, they were a ten, top ten rebounding team, and I think they were second in or third in offensive rebounding. So they need rebounding, but continue and and on, yeah. on, on no, the Swanigan front. Sorry, that's a great point. That's a great point, and I like. To me, with Noah, too, like, if you're getting these guys, because, you know, Myers was a guy that, obviously, they didn't really trust near the end of the year. Uh, Ed Davis was hurt all the time. They, they need some quality there. They, they were sorely lacking in that. And, and, you know, part of that was Nurk not being there. But, you know, even if you just have, like, a quality backup just in case Nurk is out or something like that, and... I, you know, obviously these guys are rookies. It's going to take some time. Uh, you know, Caleb, you kind of worry about the speed of the game, especially on defense, because, you know, he's not exactly the quickest laterally. Um, but and, and Collins is going to take time as well. You know, freshman, big, really young. But, you know, if these guys turn into the quality of big men that Neil Olshay obviously thinks they, they can be, then these are really good picks and it's not easy to get like wing help at 26, you know, even at 15 or 20, that's not necessarily something that's guaranteed. And and to me that that's why like 
you know, I, I was even thinking of possibly packaging one of the higher picks for, uh, you know, trading a contract for very little. Like, because, well, I obviously they're worth, you know, a, a nice level of uh, asset. They they weren't necessarily going to come in and immediately help. Like, these are, these are things that are going to take a while. And I think maybe with these guys, they take, like, a little bit sooner than what most teams are used to, which is something that, you know, you can kind of be happy about. Um, and like, you know, it, Collins played 17 minutes per game, which is something you kind of worry about, but he was great in those 17 minutes per game. And I think he started playing more and more as the season went on. You talk about foul trouble and stuff like that. And, and of course you worry about that, but he was aggressive and he did things that you wanted your big man to do while also stretching the floor. And that's what Caleb does also. So uh, to me, they were, they were two really solid picks. And I liked the way Portland's draft board obviously was made up. So I, I'm pretty good with what they did. And uh, with Sacramento, you know, I guess we'll wait and see what, what those guys do. They should get some immediate playing time because the, I – don't know who's coming back there. They're they not going to yeah, they're going to be, yeah. they're probably the worst team in like the league right now. Exactly. Like, you know, you, you can talk about how great a draft they had to me. They're one of the favorites for first pick in the draft. And then, uh, the next year they lose their pick. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know the, the future. A lot of people thought Sacramento had this great draft. I'm not sold on it. I'm not sold on the shooting. Uh, especially with, you know, like guys like De'Aaron Fox and Harry Giles, you, if Justin Jackson, Frank Mason were guys who improved a great deal as, uh, time went on. But, um, yeah, I, I don't think Sacramento fleece Portland by any means. And, uh, yeah, to me, the Blazers had a, a solid draft and I, I'm pretty excited to see what happens from it. Hey, uh, that I uh, really good stuff there. Really good insight and, uh, important perspective, I think. Cause I, I think even I, when I saw that, uh, you know, was thinking, oh man, uh, you know, Justin Jackson went, he, he shoots, you know, plays three Portland needs some help there. Uh, but at the same time, you also start thinking Vaughn lays up for an extension next year. Yeah. Nur- Nur- Ed Davis is in a contract year. Uh, Nurkic is about to go into a contract year and hasn't played a full season yet for your team. Like as you know, as much as I love Nurkic fever, you know, and, and this, but the stuff that, you know, Olshay was saying today about how they're needing to correct imbalances in him and, and, and the fact that not even just that, but even before that, I remember I was talking on the, on the ride home with on uh, and when we did a podcast <laughs> in his car and you know, Nurkic hasn't like Nurkic has had his issues with health at times in his career too. So, uh, I think, and also, and also too, basketball is a physical sport. It does, you know, mm-hmm. we're not even saying he's going to be like, if he gets hurt, it's like the worst thing and he's out for forever. It's just like, he might get hurt for like a couple of weeks and you need someone to play and win games. Like, and I think yeah. last year we saw kind of how susceptible this Blazers team is to certain injuries on their team. Aminu goes down and it's just a nightmare for 20 games and he's done he's done. And the Blazers are cooked because they can't defend anybody. And then, uh, 
you know, they, they dealt with that. And then Nurkic gets hurt at the end of the season. They're in the playoffs. And, you know, they had a good first half against Golden State, but they got killed the rest of the way. And, uh, I yeah, you know, when you look back on it and, and you start getting further away from it, it seems like they filled out some needs because, like you said, they, they were lacking quality right there. Uh, and that's an important distinction to make. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned Sacramento. You didn't really like what they did. Which teams other than, you know, we talked about the Portland uh, draft. What other teams drafts did you like uh, from from last Thursday? Which teams do you thought had a good night uh, drafting out there? Well, I know this is kind of obvious, but uh, and, you know, obviously it's TBD with uh, some things that happen in the future there. But I think Philadelphia got the best player in the draft. And to me, that that's a win. <laughs> to me, he was a guy who was in tier of his own as well. And uh, so, you know, obviously I think them trading up for Markel Fultz will prove to be a, a very good move. Uh, and, and again, you know, like the Celtics got a very solid player in Jason Tatum and could potentially get another like, you know, top five or so guy. Uh, so could be eating my words the trades uh before the draft for a first pick haven't necessarily worked uh out in the best favor for the team that actually trades for the first pick but i I thought this was very good um i thought minnesota of course (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, i think i think minnesota Minnesota had a great draft (laughs) i think they I, i think i think it's fair to say minnesota had the best night of all Oh God! Not not like, o- not only do, not only do they get Jimmy Butler in the trade for Zach Levine, Chris Dunn, and Laurie Markkinen, they also get the 16th pick, and they yep. get Justin Patton to be another big man that can. And he he seems like in his nice workouts, backup, he, big. backup yeah. big, he can shoot. Uh, it seems like which That's like. Well, he 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 was flashing yeah. that. It seemed like in the workouts that was kind of a big talking point that he could shoot and. Um, you know, Patton seems to be – does it seem like – I mean, I know this kind of started a few years ago now, it, you know, with like, I think with like the Porzingis group and Towns. It seems like almost all these big men can shoot now. I, I think it's becoming kind of a, a pretty important thing too. Like I, I think, you know, if a, if a big guy can't shoot, then that kind of just changes up your whole defensive scheme on, on what – you know, teams do having that extra threat there and, you know, having a big guy not clog the lane. So your guards maybe have an opportunity and then having a big man that can cut. And I think that's what Justin Patton does very well. Also, like, you know, he, he moves pretty well. I still think he, he's rather raw also. Well, that's great. It's going to take some time, but I didn't love marketing. And I think that Zach Levine is coming off an injury. Chris Dunn had a really bad rookie year and I felt his value was fairly low. So to me, all three of those guys that the bulls are getting are guys that I would not be happy with if I wanted my team to win games. And that is what the bulls are going to deal with next year. They're in full rebuild mode, but I don't like how they started the rebuild. Well, then they sold the they sold the thirty eighth pick to the Warriors for Jordan Bell. Uh, Another they, pick they, or, I love. No, they gave Jordan Bell. They basically <laughs> they gave, they sold Jordan Bell to the Warriors. Yep. Um, 
Jordan. Yeah. I mean, obviously we both like Jordan Bell. We're both Oregon guys. Uh, yeah. I think he could project. I think he's kind of like an Aminu type. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, the bulls have to be the worst front office in the league. Oh God. It's not, yeah. I, don't, I don't even think I like, think this like, draft like, absolutely like, proved that. Like at, at least Phil, I mean, I, I know what Phil Jackson's doing right now is, is got people scratching their heads, but at least he drafted Porzingis. Like, I don't even, I, know. I, I, I mean, I, I, know. I guess the bulls technically drafted Jimmy Butler, but like, I mean, yeah. 20 other teams passed on him. I don't know. Yeah. Whatever. It, it, it just seems like that was a while ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a while ago. Yeah. It seems like the bulls yeah. front office, uh, is, is off in their own world. Uh, yeah, that was a terrible trade uh, for Chicago. Great trade for Minnesota, and also the the, the cutting thing too. You mentioned about Patton. That's going to work great yeah. with Towns when Towns yeah. is is running running yeah. the show up top of the three. He can just dish it. That's going to be great. Yeah, work great with Jimmy. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's another. Yeah. Gosh. And if if Wiggins wasn't Wiggins, just needs to Jimmy needs to be there to kind of shake Wiggins out of the fog. And that's what I'm hoping as well. Yeah. Um. um yeah. As far as the Bulls front office too. Let's also talk about the fact that they trade Doug McDermott for Doug McDermott for Yusuf Nurkic and Gary Harris, who are and both like way better, who, who, are, who are both way better than Doug McDermott. Yeah. yeah and then, Gary, and Gary this Harris is, not is like a certified. Blazers, yeah. Yeah. This is not the Blazers. They, I think it was, it was 11 for 16 and 19. This, this it was Denver. It's not going to happen to the Blazers. Yeah. It was but, a Denver, you know, Chica- it was yeah. a Denver, Denver, Chicago. Denver, Chicago. Yeah. 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 Um, any, any other teams that you liked other than Minnesota? Uh, well, let's talk about golden state because I think that that Jordan bell, um, that buying the Jordan bell pick is going to be great for them. Uh, and everybody seemed to just be on the same page with that being a fantastic fit. And they're saying that James Michael McAdoo is probably on his way out and you know, he'll, he'll be taking those minutes but man, like Jordan Bell just fits so well in a team concept and as like the small ball five or playing like, you know, as the four, if you have even like KB at the five or something like that, it, it works out so well. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, you just sparked an idea in my head that we're going to see next year. Like, I think the Warriors now, the next step in their evolution of dominance of the league is that they're going to go full spurs during the season and they're going to rest their guys like a lot more. So you're going to have these games where Jordan Bell's playing like 38 minutes at center, like, like when they're resting Draymond and, and all this stuff, like, like not only is that like, cause they can still get the number one seed and rest these guys even more now. And they're going to need it. Like there's no way they're winning a fourth title or, you know, going to a fourth championship uh, finals or whatever as a team without getting some rest along the way, because now they've gone to the finals three years in a row. They've racked up a bunch of mileage in the finals, a bunch of emotional miles, mental miles like they're going to need breaks. And I think Bell more so than anything, less less so than even as like a playoff ad, a guy that's going to be in their rotation. I just think he's a guy that they could be like, OK, well, we're going to give Draymond the night off. And we're just going to have Jordan Bell play a lot. Like, I, I, I think this is going to be like the next step in the Warriors evolution is that they're going to be more Spurs like with the way that they rest. I know they don't overextend their guys as it is, but I mean, they, they're, they're going to need to do something different, I think, because the mileage is going to rack up. I know, I know these guys are young, but, you know, only LeBron can survive that many finals in a row. Mm-hmm. 
Well, and I, I think they've already done a pretty decent job with that. Like you always look at Stephen Curry's minutes and you're like, Oh, he doesn't play as many minutes as you'd think, you know? And it, so I think they're already doing a pretty good job. And they, if they keep Iguodala, they just like have enough depth where they can kind of get away with that. But Bell, uh, Bell's another guy they could fill in there. Iguodala's yeah, getting, old, getting older. Absolutely. Like he could play a little and just, and just play defense basically. You know, yeah, yeah. Iguodala doesn't shoot very well. Oh yeah. 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 Well, like if, they have like those, you know, let's, let's look, you can plug Jordan Bell with the four all-stars. Why not? And they, they don't skip a beat. No. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You can really just plug anybody in with that group and you wouldn't. Skip well, it's a beat, true but, enough. But, it's but true Be- enough. But Be- Jordan Be- Bell, Be- Bell, Bell's Bell perfect. brings some nice intensity. Be- <laughs> Bell's perfect for that. Cause Bell's he just going to do all he of can the pass dip. and you know, he's just, I, he's going to run. He's going to play his butt off on defense um, and then, you know, hopefully the, I, he, he's a talented rebounder, uh, you know, the, the boxing out and everything like that. I, I think he'll build like those fu- fundamental things as time goes on. Uh, but moving on as far as like great drafts, um, two of the ones that just our site really liked was Dallas game, Dennis Smith at nine. I think that is like you can't call it an absolute steal. Unex- unexpected. I, he went way too low. And he's so talented, and I think he fits in there very well. And he could be – like when you're looking at guys who could be potential stars in this draft, I think he's one of them. And um, just, you know, explosive athlete. But he, he reads the game really well. He seems to just have an ability to kind of fill up the stat sheet. Like – defensively and and as far as that's concerned i think there's potential there um obviously that was his number one like uh what the thing that people were talking about his lack of intensity there but i i think again part of that has to do with where north carolina state was and uh what was going on there uh that had to have been tough but to me, I don't know. This is just from when I was – when I saw Dennis Smith in high school, I just saw a guy who dominated the rest of his peers. Um, and this was a high-level camp like Adidas Nations. And he was playing on a team with Markel Fultz, but there was like no question who the best player on that team was at the time, and it was Dennis Smith. Uh, and then he tore his ACL. He came back that next year, which I thought was a really gutsy move and played with the college guys and just absolutely dominated once again. And I think a lot of people had him like in the top three to five on their draft board. Um, And then again, like a lot of people still felt that way, but you know, intangible questions, things like that. Then my next good draft was a guy who I had probably like about six or seven on my draft board. Uh, He, kind of just rotated between those two spots, but I, I probably would have him seven uh, was Malik Monk, who I think in Charlotte is going to be very, very solid. They're going to have a smaller backcourt, but I, I think the, the whole like Kemba Malik and Nicholas Batum uh, triumvirate as with far the, as like with, no backcourt with Dwight Howard in the middle. Yeah, true enough. True enough. You know, if if he has some uh, gas left in the tank, I guess. Yeah, maybe. And, and, and who, who knows again, anymore? Yeah, he's, like he and he's an up, but he's an upgrade. We'll say he's an upgrade, 
And, uh, yeah, so I think that's going to be really interesting. Malik was always so explosive, and then he he was a really versatile shooter at Kentucky, too. Um, He, like, on a per-minute basis, I think he was, like, if he wasn't the highest-scoring freshman per minute in in the NCAA, he was up there. And he – I just think – it's going to be really fun. Like that. It's not Dame and CJ, but it's going to be like a, an explosive, very fun backcourt with uh, Kemba and Malik. And uh, I, I thought that was, that was, it was just a great situation for Malik Monk to go to, even though he, he fell lower in the draft than he thought he was going to. Do you think that, at, you know, obviously Portland, it seemed like valued Zach Collins higher than any of the other guys that were available at that point. Hmm. But what, where would you rank say Monk or Donovan Mitchell? Would you have them ahead of Collins in your draft board? Or would you say that they're pretty much the same or worse? Yeah, I I did. I had Monk ahead of him. Okay. All right. Uh, I didn't have Mitchell ahead of him. And Mitchell was probably like right after him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think I think I think Mitchell went at thirteen. Yeah, he did. He did. Yeah. But like, um, like I probably would have had Mitchell like eleven or twelve, um, which again, not a huge difference. And you know, if Detroit liked uh, Luke Kennard shooting a little bit more and everything, totally understandable. Also, um, but yeah, I think. Just with Monk, the the problem there obviously would have been crap, and uh, yeah. what, what they would have done with that, uh, I think again that's where the Blazers' salary cap put them in kind of a precarious position, and uh, yeah, like that, that that could be one of the things that maybe comes back to bite them with uh, this pick if you're looking at it down the road, but again, I, I stand by the fact that like he and Monk to me were probably on at least fairly similar tiers. And then the, the whole thing with tiers too is even if you have this board, but, and this is the point where you're kind of like drafting for position. And if they felt like, and they probably had Collins higher on their board. Like uh, I, I'm guessing that too. Not every board is the same. Right. Learn in the NBA too. Um, so they, they probably like Collins more than Monk. Um, or maybe had him in a higher tier. I mean, that's what they said. I mean, that's what they said. Yeah. I'm just asking you because you know, I yeah, feel, I feel like, I feel like that. I mean, I feel like before the draft, I think I said that too. Like, if Malik Monk is there, like you just take yeah, him because he's the best player. But, yeah. but, but, but I mean, if if the Blazers really believed that Zach Collins is the best player on their board, then you have to take him at their word because that's you know, ultimately, you know, we can disagree about that. But but at the end of the day. Uh, this stuff is subjective. Like, you know, you, you gotta, mm-hmm. it, it is like, I, I you know, I, there's no, and, and if that is their pick and that's what they really believe and they really think he's better then you got to take him at their word and see if they're right, you know, three or f- three to five years down the road. Uh, you know, that's, that's really when it is, but it, obviously I think it's really interesting to take stock of, you know, who, yeah. I, who we think is better. I of think, I, I think, yeah. I think that's important. And I, I think also, you know, you, you can say, like, this is what most people I know do, is say, oh, I would have taken Monk, and, oh, he turned out to be better, and um, maybe I should be running these things. Like, you know? Yes, exactly. <laughs> I think we all do that at times. But, uh, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I, I think at least your, your approach is absolutely correct. And uh, I, I, for one, I feel like uh, Portland's reasoning is pretty sound here. 
So uh, I, I'm I'm willing to take them at their word and and see what happens. And I, I again like with Monk, I, I felt like he was the better player, but Portland was just in a really tough position there because they already have two such great guards, and then you know you have Alan Crabb with as much salary as he's taking up, and then possibly you know if you're trading, you either trade Crabb's contract, you trade. Uh, CJ or Dame, which I don't think is going to happen anytime soon. Right. And you still like, even if you believe Monk is going to be that like six man, then you have like that whole like scenario to deal with that I guess they just well, weren't ready to deal with. Yeah, and the other and the other thing too um, that I thought I have thought about recently with regards to you know Monk or Collins or you know and all the moves that they didn't make right the you know there's the Paul George trade and there's all that stuff yeah. like you know one of the ways that the salary cap situation can improve is if Crab and or Turner rehabilitate their value. Now, mm-hmm. Crab may never be worth, probably, you know, may never be worth the amount that he's going to make, especially if he gets traded to another team where he gets a 15% trade kicker. Yeah. But he can. it can be a lot easier for a team to swallow that contract if they're getting a guy who is better next year offensively can do a little bit more with the ball in his hands can do more Mm -hmm. as a playmaker in the pick and roll can finish at the basket can play attentive defense for the entire time that he's out there you know we'll see but I, I I think that's also one of the ways that Portland gets out of this salary cap quagmire that they're in is is those guys that are the wing players that we're all saying need to that they need to move and replace? Well, a way that they can have an easier time at getting better replacements is if those guys get better. And, yeah. and, and maybe that's part of the calculus here is that Portland saw a couple of big men. They have Malik Monk there available, but they say, hey, we need it. We have guards already, and we also have a bunch of guards that we're already struggling to get minutes to, like. They're already struggling to get minutes to Turner and Crab, and mm-hmm. and and they're paying those guys a lot of money, and it's it's not not a good use of that money if you're not going to use those guys. That's totally that you're you're burning money if you're not going to play those guys any minutes. So as much as I was also thinking they could make a move here with one of those guys, on the other hand, maybe their value is such that they've got to let it ride out another year, and then hopefully that attracts more teams because also the salary cap doesn't seem to be an issue for Portland as everyone, as, as we all make it out to be because O'Shea hasn't talked about it once in the last two media availabilities had about the cap situation. He doesn't think it's a problem and uh, it, apparently it's not one, but so yeah, I, I think the monk situation is interesting and maybe they rehabilitate some value with those wings. Yeah. And, and like while monk, could have definitely lit a fire under like crab and, and everything and uh, Turner and, you know, possibly had, you know, convinced those guys to maybe come back and uh, have a little something to play for. I also think that the Collins and Swanigan pick are, is going to do something for what I feel is the contract that they most want to get rid of, which is Myers. And I, I like, I really hope that Collins kind of lights a fire under Myers 
and uh, we we can be and, and so Noah and Myers, just two guys who I, I I think we just have not seen even close to the best of yet. Uh, and if we have, then you know we kind of need to think about moving on. But yeah, Noah Noah is a guy that I really want. I think will be very good to have him be pushed. And then uh, you know if Collins can convince Myers to play with a little fire in his belly, then you know. Let's do this. And, and, and something that Olshea pointed out a couple of times is that he really likes the toughness of both Swanigan and, and Collins. Collins is, mm-hmm. is pretty chippy. He's very aggressive out there. He, I think he found, did he foul out in the, in the final four in the he national? He did. In yeah. National, in 19 minutes. Yeah. 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 And, and, and he's just super aggressive and yeah, uh, he seems like a guy that gets in your face and, and, and gets angry and, and, and Portland I think needs that. And, and that's something. And, and Swanigan seems like a guy that plays with a lot of passion as well. Uh, when you watch, yeah. when you watch him play and that is definitely something that when you look at, Myers and Noah Vonley, Myers Leonard Noah Vonley. You don't see it, it, not to say that they don't play with passion, but mm-hmm. you just don't see it. Like yeah, it, yeah. it doesn't come out. Like you're not noticing it. And it seems like Collins and Swanigan are wired a little differently, and they've yeah. got that sense. It seems like they play with that sense of urgency that both of those guys have really struggled with, and I think even two things that I think or a couple more, there's a lot of things I think this Blazers team needs, but talent being one of them. But another thing, you know, talent may not be exactly it. I think it might be a combination of confidence and just a little bit of anger. Like they just need that little bit of fire and not, maybe not anger, but sense of urgency. And, Mm -hmm. and I think that they need a sense of urgency about them because Damon CJ's time is now. Like they're going into this prime of their career and the Warriors are there. We all know that, but they need guys that are going to go out there that don't give any, they just don't care about the Warriors. They just need guys that are out there that want to get in people's chest and want to play. And Nurkic is a guy like that. Like I I believe Nurkic is a guy like that. Nurkic is definitely a guy like that. I think Evan Turner is a guy like that. I think Turner will get in your face, even though maybe he's not the most stylistic guy in terms of, you know, the way I like to my wings to play basketball. He's not, but he gets in your face and is ready to fight. And I think that if nothing else, Collins and Swanigan seem like two guys that are ready to fight. And, yeah. and, and, and the Blazers need that. And I, and I think both of them are also very confident now, you know, now that Swanigan's kind of been through that change and, and Collins obviously seems like a very confident guy. So, uh, I, I think Portland needs that, but you know, all yeah. the things you mentioned about, you know, their acumen and all those other basketball things that matter, uh, you know, those all sound like things that this Blazers team needs. They, and yeah. they, so I, I think from that standpoint, uh, it, it sounds like a positive draft. Yeah. And, and to me also a big part of toughness always, I, I used to call guys that didn't get rebounds, fake tough guys, because to me, beating out somebody and getting those missed shots, that to me is what toughness is. That's that's why I never felt like a guy like Pau Gasol was as soft as people said. And, you know, when Dirk Nowitzki at least became a decent defensive rebounder. Um, but, yeah, like that is what I think both of those guys can kind of bring to the table. 
And again, like, yeah, like you're saying, uh, so Collins went to Bishop Gorman where he went up against two guys who were like McDonald's all American level players. And they were the guys that everybody was talking about. And that was Steven Zimmerman who eventually got drafted in the second round by the Orlando magic and uh, chase Jeter who just transferred to uh, Arizona from Duke. But yeah, so he was going up against two other guys who played his position and this guy was still putting up numbers and, and, you know, and then eventually like, you know, he became this big name. He became a McDonald's all American goes to Gonzaga finishes runner up in the uh, NCAA championship. And we know what Biggie's been through. Like that guy's story is incredible. He was like a 360 pound, 13 year old. And now he's like under 250. looks like he's ripped. Like he is, he's in very good shape as, as far as like anything you could have seen when he was like this 300 pound sophomore who was putting up numbers in U 17s. And, uh, you know, so th- those are two guys who, who, who've been through the ringer a little bit. And again, I, I think you make a great point. They, they bring something that the Blazers sorely need. Well, uh, Michael, a- a- any other uh, draft notes that you wanted to drop before we uh, wrap this up? I think we're, we're at a good place right now. Yeah, I could, I could talk about it all day, of course, Gundy. But um, I, th- I think we, we covered quite a bit. And uh, yeah, if anybody ever wants to talk draft with me, NBA draft Mikey V on Twitter. Um, you can find my work on NBA draft.net. Uh, I'm not too hard to find. So I love talking basketball with just about anybody. So, uh, and I especially love talking about it with my friend, Eric Gunderson on the lockdown blazers podcast. So glad to be on again. And, uh, yeah, man, just anything else you want to bring up Eric. Dude, no, man. Thank you so much, Mike, for coming on. Really appreciate it. Always fun talking hoops with you, obviously, but, you know, fun fun to do it in the podcast as well. So uh, I'll see you around, and we will be back with another episode of Lockdown Blazers later this week. Keep it locked on here. Subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher Audio Boom, wherever you can get a podcast. We are there. Leave us a five-star review. Follow Mike on Twitter, at NBA Draft, Mikey V. Follow me on Twitter at Eric underscore Gunderson. And we will be back with you with more Blazers stuff. Free agency starts this weekend. Get hyped, even though the Blazers don't have a lot, but we'll get you prepped for whatever it is that they may do when free agency hits. Until then. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details.